some really, really good guests. We're going to be talking about uh, the transformation and the cancellation of our kids. And uh, this is going to be a great discussion with some folks who have children in a private Christian school in Montana. And we're going to be talking about how important it is to get out of the system the way it's designed. Thumper, let's go ahead and start with our uh, opening program, and we'll go from there. All right, Dan, coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Happels, Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Where the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away The men who died, who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say.
good Sunday afternoon and welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. And today, Thumper, I had an interesting experience uh, this week. I had uh, a young lady and her husband who live uh, fairly near to me, uh, but they have their children going to uh, a private Christian school and they are experiencing a lot of the problems that we're seeing in the public school system. And uh, she contacted me, sent me an email, and I thought, what a great opportunity to put together this program. And we've got, I think, two of the absolutely brightest ladies in the world who have been writing and, and detailing this message for a very, very long time. Uh, our guest today, uh, the couple from uh, Churchill, Montana, happened to be uh, Shane and Natalie McAfee, and uh, they are going to be joined by Julie Quist and Deborah DeGroff. And um, Julie Quist, her husband, wrote a wonderful book that I bought a whole case of uh, almost, uh, <laughs> I hate to admit it, but it was almost 20 years ago uh, when I first read that book, and I got so excited in reading it, I decided that it needed to be shared with uh, various teachers and people in our community, and so I bought a whole case of the books, and uh, I believe that was probably around 2004. So uh, we've been in this battle for a long time, uh, first, I'd like to introduce uh, uh, Shane and uh, Natalie M McAfee, and uh, would you folks uh, kind of explain your situation in the private Christian school you're in, and then we'll bring uh, Julie and Deborah into the discussion. Okay, thank you. Uh, thanks for having us on the show. Can you hear us okay? Sure, perfect. Great. Uh, yeah. So Shane and Natalie, uh, thanks for having us. Yes. We, uh, you know, uh, a quick summary moved to a place, uh, you know, where we had certain expectations, uh, certain school rates, certain expectations, uh, probably a lot of us here, you know, listeners and presenters here agree on and, uh, you know, not really, uh, expecting to run into the issues that we're going to discuss here today. And uh, so a little bit of a shock to to find it in a place where you wouldn't expect it. And um, yeah, this this ideology that you you talk about, whether it's specifically social and emotional learning or if it's other topics we discuss, you know, that uh, in the, the last place you ever expect it, it can it can creep in if people aren't on guard and paying attention. And so that's what that's what we have found. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very familiar with the uh, Dutch community up there at Churchill. Um, I was actually uh, uh, baptized into the Dutch Reformed Church, so I, I know the community well. And uh, I can tell you that uh, it used to be one of the most solidly Christian communities in the world. But uh, the same thing has happened there as has happened all over the country, all over the world for that matter, but yeah. certainly all over the country. And that is we have allowed through this gradualism for Marxism and uh, different isms to creep into our culture. And they've literally, I, I know the Dutch community, they're very good people, but at the same time, I know that they are trying way, way too hard 
to accommodate uh, ideas that are totally the opposite of what they should be uh, really trying to tolerate. And uh, at this point, I think this will be a program, and I'm hoping you'll share this with other members of the community. I'm hoping this will be a program to maybe shed a little light on ES, uh, SEL and on Castle and on some of these other programs that have overtaken our entire education system. Thanks, Dan. I wanted to say something about our community. We we love our community so much. The people here have the people have been truly what we came here for. They have lived up to that expectation a hundred percent. They've been like family to us, and they have demonstrated Christ to our children on a daily basis. And I think almost all of them don't want these things in their school. And there's a range of reaction from just not being aware to maybe being afraid to say something. Um, But I do think the conservative Christian values are still here in the families. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know they are, but it's, um, I think they're a little bit afraid of being um, outside of the mainstream because uh, they're more concerned, I think, about uh, being tolerant than they need to be. You know, let's face it, uh, uh, being a Christian isn't all about being tolerant. It's about being forgiving and certainly not condemning other people. But that is in a different sense than allowing this kind of corruption and crap to get into the school systems. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to, I'm going to start with uh, Julie Quist. Uh, Julie, your husband, Alan, wrote Fed Ed, and uh, that was like one of the best books that I could possibly imagine uh, outlining what had happened to the education system. And that was clear back, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he wrote that book in about 2002. Um, I know that it was right after he introduced it that I decided to buy a whole case of the books and shared them with our uh, with our uh, uh, school system here in the Harrison area. And I just want to uh, tell you how important it is that he wrote that book and how important it is that you have done what you've done to continue that message. Uh, through the public education system. Uh, Julie, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for putting this program on. I just can't tell you how important I think it is because it's dear to my heart uh, that this is coming in to to the Christian schools. We've had a lot of experience with that, and I just look forward to discussing this. Well, I I know that uh, the group that you've done in Minnesota uh, and you're trying to carry this around the country. It's called the Child Protection League. And I know that you've got a lot of videos and other things that you share with people. But it's so important, I think, for people to realize that just because you have a child in uh, a private school or in a Christian school, it doesn't mean that this uh, kind of creep isn't coming in. And in fact, in some ways, it's even worse because I think they're targeting uh, private Christian schools more than they are even some of the other schools. Is that uh, has that been your experience as well? 
You know, we just, Child Protection League just had a speaker in on October 11th, and uh, it was James Lindsay, and I'm sure you've heard of him, and he is just an excellent resource on this issue and, and many others uh, having to do with uh, transforming children, transforming the, uh, the, the whole um, culture. Uh, what he said, you know, he's done extensive research, and one of the things he said was that in one of the books uh, that comes out of the World Economic Forum, they specifically talk about how to transform the culture, and they say you have to target the churches, mm -hmm. and you have to target the schools, especially, especially, especially the schools. That's that's what they are, they, they say, that this was written some years back. And so in Christian schools, you have both. You have the Christian church and you have the schools. So in that sense, it, it makes perfect sense for them to target Christian schools. Well, in, in this group you're talking about, the World Economic Forum, I think most of our listeners are familiar with that group. But uh, because we are maybe talking to a new audience that uh, – uh, Shane and and uh, Natalie are going to be sharing with their neighbors. Uh, let's go ahead and explain what the World Economic Forum is. Well, the World Economic Forum is is uh, basically they're working very closely with the United Nations, and they um, are you know corporate international corporatism that has uh, an agenda for world domination. That's just who they are. Um, and they put out um, information, they've written books, they've been very explicit about it. And, um, you know, we don't want to get into a lot of other topics that, um, you know, that'll take us down, uh, you know, take up a lot of other time. But many of the other issues that have plagued our, our uh, country right now, such as the COVID uh, and the vaccine and the immigration and all of those things, are a part of that entire picture that they create. And they're very explicit about it. They don't hide this. This isn't something that's that's hard to find. But when you read about it, you, real, you realize this. OK, so this uh, agenda goes way back. And if I can just say it's, you know, you can we call it cultural Marxism because um, uh, Marx, uh, you know, saw things as as uh, you know a, a conflict between the haves and the have-nots on the economic level, but Antonio Gramsci, uh, who was an Italian Marxist, changed that, and he said it's the culture that matters. You have to change the culture in order to have this socialist revolution. And he is the father of cultural revolution. We call it that because he said you have to target the culture. And the, the specific um, uh, groups that, I mean, most Marxists today are cultural Marxists. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what's going on in the schools with social emotional learning and other programs like ethnic studies and so forth are, um, that is cultural Marxism. And people don't, for the most part, a lot of the individuals who are engaging in it don't know that's what it is and they don't necessarily know the history. But what we have done is that we've created a vocabulary of terms. And I think it's really important to define the terms from the beginning because the the key to all of this is language, mm -hmm. the deception that is, ha that is going through the language. And we have to pierce that 
that deception in order to know what we're dealing with and in order to talk about it appropriately. So on our website, we have these, this uh, definition of terms and we have it uh, in, in uh, cultural marks, the terms of cultural Marxism from a Christian perspective. So we, we define the terms and then we, um, we, we explain uh, you know, what Scripture says and how it is an, an antithesis of what Scripture says. And I, I just I would really refer people to that as a very, very important, valuable um, ter, uh, tool uh, to, to use to explain to people what we're dealing with, because it all sounds good. It all sounds good. It's all about fairness. It's all about empathy. It's all about love. It's all about, um, you know, creating children that are, you know, global citizens, which unless you understand what global citizenship means, it sounds like a good thing uh, because you don't understand the bigger picture. So please, if, if I can... Um, if I can reference that for all of you as a tool, I just think it could be extraordinarily helpful. We go into not only, first we start off defining what Marxism and then, and then cultural Marxism and then what critical race theory is. But then we talk about what is diversity, equity, and inclusion. It used to be called CRT, because, but people kind of figured out that that's a bad thing. So now they call it uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So what is diversity? What is equity? What is uh, inclusion? What is systemic racism and what is social justice and what does scripture say about justice? Do they talk about social justice or do they talk about justice? You know, there's a key difference there. Genuine justice is the application of natural law in all realms of society. And it requires that the guilty be punished and the innocent be protected. In social justice, we treat individuals as a part of groups. It's not individuals, it's groups. They're, everybody is an identity group. So you have to understand that paradigm in order to understand the terminology that's being used. And I, I feel, um, you know, for Christian people, uh, we take people for when they say things that they mean what they say. And we don't know that there is a whole vocabulary that is being used deliberately to deceive and I can I can tell you how we know that social emotional learning is primarily run through an organization called the uh, Collaborative for so uh, Academic and Social Emotional Learning. It's C A S E L called Castle, mm -hmm. and in that uh, you know they're the ones that have that that are like the mothership of the whole operation, and they have a curriculum that that they recommend they have curriculum that they that they are are developing they uh, let people know how far different curriculum are along the continuum and so to understand what any particular social emotional learning curriculum is go to the source how does castle define itself and i will tell you exactly what they say have said on their website I don't even think it's up there anymore, but we captured it and we have it. Um, it is SEL as a lever for equity and social justice. Now in our vocabulary, we describe exactly what equity and exactly what social justice means. So you, you know, have to use them side by side, but here's a bigger uh, statement of what they say. We believe that the, 
<clears throat> excuse me, that there is no system more important than educating to end racism and dismantle the systems that condone racist act, acts. We at Castle hold fast to the belief that our work must be actual, actively contributing to anti-racism. Now, again, that's in our vocabulary and to all forms of prejudice reduction. We recognize that this work is ongoing and that there is much more work to be done. So they have um, they have said that they they th their goal is that SEL be in every school in the country. And so obviously that encompasses um, Christian schools. And uh, so defining the terms and, and knowing who is, who, who, uh, is actually um, put it, what, it, what is the goal and the purpose of the organizations that are putting in place gives us a real starting point. And, um, you know, I, I can go on, but mm -hmm. I, do you want to do you want to um, comment on that at all? Before? Yeah. Yes. I Well, uh, thank you, Julie. Yes. I uh, first of all, you mentioned Anton, Antonio Gramsci. He uh, wrote uh, a series of writings called the Prison Notebooks. And in that writing, and that was back in the 1920s and uh, early 30s, he was in prison in Mussolini's Italy, and uh, he was a hardcore Marxist, but he talked about the long march through the institutions. And that long march was education, it was industry, it was banking, I mean, it was literally everything that we have in our country, those long marches were part of that process. Now, uh, what you're talking about with uh, Castle and the social emotional learning is a, a direct takeoff on uh, what was described by uh, Antonio Gramsci in the prison notebooks and in those long marches through the institutions. People need to understand that what we are facing right now is a plan that's been in play for a hundred years. And it's actually maybe a little longer than a hundred years if you want to go back uh, you know, into our own uh, history. We've had uh, these people working on projects like this uh, really since Karl Marx was uh, active in Europe. So uh, this is the long march. Anyway, um, go, go ahead, uh, Julie, and uh, explain how the social emotional learning, how that's part of a bigger program uh, that was put in play that uh, the UN uh, was working on. And it's part of this transformational education. Is that that's what they call it, right? Transformational education came into vogue, you know, on, on probably the 70s, about the time that, you know, Gramsci's work didn't come into the uh, American institutions until the 70s. And the reason that it didn't is because it wasn't translated into English until the late 60s. Uh, so th then suddenly it became a big deal and it really took over the, the university. And uh, colleges and and they really took off too. And the the whole the whole idea of transformational education is that the purpose of education is to transform the values and attitudes and beliefs of students, not academic knowledge and skills. And um, that's incidental. And um, you know sometimes you get and sometimes you don't. The thing about social 
emotional learning that is so transformative is that you incorporate a, a pedagogy that's a way of teaching into every single subject. And it's, um, it's very devious because if you ask to see the curriculum, um, let's see what, let's see what the math curriculum is. Well, um, you won't see this because it's the way it's being taught. It isn't just like on the, on the agenda, the, the, um, uh, of the curriculum, what the what you're going to teach. So I can give you an example of that. It's really important because it's the way they, they have been trained. The teachers now, well, let me just go back. The institutions of teacher training institutions have been captured in America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so teachers are being taught this. Now, all teachers won't necessarily uh, believe all this, but this is what is being taught in the teacher institutions across the country. In some of the uh, Christian teacher institutions, it's coming in there too. Um, and they don't know what it is. And I, I, I know it can get a little um, a little deep or murky or something when, uh, when we're talking about back in the 1930s, the 1900s or whatever. So I, it's important for people to know where it came from, but I would really say again, to use the definitions that are there, help us walk through what these are without getting too, uh, you know, deep into, into other things. So here's mm -hmm. here's an example of, of uh, cultural competency teaching. So you're, you've got a math problem and you're doing a, a problem and the and the um, the problem would be, let's say, uh, it's sixty miles to a entertainment center. And you um, are you live uh, twenty miles away. Excuse me. Um, you know you you're um, how's that go? Some some word problem uh, mm -hmm. that you know you're. Let's say you're halfway there. I'll simplify it quite a bit. You're halfway there. So how many um, miles do you have left? You know it's something very simple. So you can have that as your math problem. So what the teachers are trained to do to teach in, to be uh, culturally sensitive is that you start talking about uh, issues like. Um, how many of you have been to an entertainment center? Well, yeah, and then they start. Well, um, like, why haven't some of you not gone? Well, there's one around. Um, it's expensive. Um, blah blah blah. Well, why why do some people have enough money to go and other people don't? So suddenly you're talking about a social issue. Um, you can be talking about, um, you know, I don't have anyone to drive me. Um, so I only have, you know, somebody brings up that I, I only have a mom and I, you know, and I'm a dad. So why do some people have two parents and some others don't have one? So you're talking already about the groups of people who are oppressed and people who are, um, are uh, the oppressors. So um, everything is being taught through the lens of, of equity. Equity is the idea that there everybody is is in a is grouped into either an oppressed or oppressed an oppressor or oppressed group. So you're not looking at individuals; you're looking at groups, and you you define people by the group that they are in. And so um, equity is that some are some that that the, the people in the oppressed group. Um, don't have the same outcomes in all kinds of ways. And the, the oppressed groups would be non-whites, 
it would be uh, non-heterosexuals, it would be non-males, it would be, you know, the homeless, it would be all the groups that are considered, um, you know, not the majority, uh, and, and, and they're there because of racism. So the, the, the system is systemically racist. It has been from the beginning. And the only way to solve that problem is to disrupt it and um, change it, transform our whole culture and our whole government system. Now, that's the foundation of it. It doesn't come out that way all the time right away, but that is the basis of equity. That's what equity means. And again, I, I ask you to go to the, the, the definitions for reference on that. Um, so everything is being taught through an equity lens. So many of these concepts are very good. Um, if you were to apply them in a way that was, you know, re reasonable, uh, but it's not. <clears throat> so uh, when when they talk about um, empathy, for example, do we want to teach our children empathy? And of course, we want our children to have empathy. But what does empathy mean? And in the worldview of um, equity. And in the worldview of uh, DEI, de uh, inclusion in particular, equity, I mean, excuse me, empathy means that you accept and affirm everything, every, uh, primarily the gender uh, fluid ideology and the homosexuality and the whole, that whole realm of things is to be empathetic. So when they're teaching children empathy, it's it sounds really really good mm -hmm. until you start realizing where they're what foundation they're they're laying. So you don't judge things by any moral standard. You only affirm what everybody is, and and you know heterosexuality isn't affirmed. I will tell you. Uh, you know, you can see the, the what's happening with the young people in the schools. They're denying, uh, you know, so many of them are jumping on the gender bandwagon of they're this gender or they're that gender. They are not being affirmed as being heterosexual. And this is this is happening just as a, a social contagion across the country in schools all over. Why? Um, this is this is the ideology that is incorporated into everything. So you are you're you're transforming students into another whole worldview having to do not just with racism, uh, but having to do with uh, the gender ideology and having to do with other social issues. Also, for example, sustainability, you know. That's that's uh, you know that's uh, the, the climate crisis that we're in. That's that's all part of of the worldview that is being taught through every every topic is considered a avenue and and a um, an opportunity to transmit the new worldview. That is what SEL is. We um, we looked at one of the curriculum called. Um, Frenzy, 
which is called a Christian curriculum. And there are others. That one is popular. Um, uh, Christian schools, I don't know which ones they're using in your school, um, Shane and Natalie, but um, that's a very popular one. I'd be interested in knowing that they, they don't have to use a Christian curriculum, but we looked at this particular Christian curriculum, and it's on our website, the, the paper on that. Um, they, um, they focus children on their emotions. They... Um, they want people, they want them to be completely always aware and thinking of their emotions and their emotions lead them. And um, as a result, as you, well, you, you probably recognize that when you're operating on your emotions, you're much more easily manipulated and it isn't grounded in the principles. And because this is a Christian uh, curriculum, you know, it should be it should be grounded in scripture and it is not they use a couple of christian uh they, a couple of biblical verses as the foundation for their curriculum and um they're taken out of context and they're right. just really misrepresented the biggest one is it was when god created the world it he said it is not good for man to be alone okay that's it now they don't they don't put in the context of the fact that at that point God was creating marriage. Uh, they don't ever talk about marriage. They don't ever talk about affirming marriage. They talk about the fact that everybody needs a friend, and so it's all about being nice to each other and accepting and affirming each other. It's all based on the Bible because God said it is not good for man to be alone, and so they're they're um, they're bringing in the idea that you affirm. You know, we're not we're past tolerance these days. <laughs> the tolerance was it was a flash in the pan. I mean, it came and now it's gone. Now we're into affirmation. Now we're into celebrating. It's not enough to tolerate. You have to affirm. Mm -hmm. And so everybody is a part of a group. The other thing that it does is it puts everybody in a group and everybody's very loyal to the group they're in. So it's instead of teaching children to base their their um, actions and their beliefs on what is true. They don't ever talk about what is true. They talk about how you feel about things and all of your emotions. Instead of basing it on, on what is true, uh, they're basing it on what does the group think? You know, there's this group thinking, group identity and group this and group that. So they're taking away individual identity and they're judging people based on the group they're in and they're 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 starting to get people to to quite to to challenge themselves about well if I if I don't think kindly of of this particular thing then I am I'm racist or I'm unloving or I'm unempathetic and so you're not using your judgment your um, you have to discern according to what scripture tells you. So I, that's another thing that could be really helpful to you, Shane and Natalie, to look at that uh, curriculum, because even though it may not be the same one that you're using, and they often, Christian schools will use secular curriculum. They don't necessarily sure. use a Christian mm -hmm. curriculum. Yeah, so and, and I would say um, uh, that the principles are the same. And, um, and in a Christian school, it goes without saying that you, you, you teach people to love one another. You don't need a curriculum to bring in to teach them the things that are just a given in a Christian school. And if they're not a given, you don't go to some SEL program that is based 
based on um, racism and Marxism to, um, you know, to, to do that. Yeah, Julie, so I, I, I I, there's, there's a whole other part of that I'd like to get to, but I don't want to just keep rambling on. And, and uh, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm getting giving you the opportunity to give me some feedback. And it has to do with data collection, but that's a really important part of SEO. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, Shane, would you um, uh, like to uh, comment on that? And then I want to get Deborah DeGroff. This is a, a perfect segue to uh, introduce Deborah because uh, she has studied thousands of children's books from uh, K through 12th, and she has an amazing uh, understanding of how they've changed language and change the way people perceive things. Anyway, uh, Shane, go ahead. Do you have uh, yeah. some questions or comments? Hey, absolutely. Just to reinforce a couple, a few things that Julie said. And Julie, you did a great job uh, communicating a very complicated uh, list of you know definitions and and topics. And and by the way, we use uh, Second Step is our SEL curriculum. So you're familiar with that. And um, one of the and most, I, it's, yeah, it's one of the most popular and it's deadly. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just to to reinforce, and again, you did a great job explaining some of these key points. But you know, one very basic premise here is to dismantle absolute truth, really. So if you have the, you know, there is absolute truth in this world, and everything you've just described is the antithesis to that. So I think you did a great job wording that. Um, and, and I would add one more thing. You know, we we talked about how. Uh, a private Christian school is a great target for for what's going on right now. I would even add to that uh, again a stated objective that you can see in writing is you know their their ultimate goal is not just to get yes children youngest age you can education system the churches right excellent but another stated objective is and you kind of hinted at this to even spread out of the school and get into the home. Right. The kid leaves school. They go back home. They talk to their parents. They're taking assignments home. You have uh, organizations or clubs or, you know, any event at school. And this and the goal is to make it not just a part of every kid's life from eight to three, Monday through Friday, but to make it a part of every single person's life all day. So, again, taking all those things, it used to be reading, writing and arithmetic. And now it's how to be a good person. So great job explaining that. Um, and, and I did want to reinforce two things. You, you mentioned the, uh, the train station problem and math is a great example, a very easy one to explain, right? It used to be numbers and we used to have a number problem and you see, and, and we have seen this, uh, a very, very big shift to word problems. And, and it's to reinforce what you're saying that enable it better enables, uh, the curriculum to get points across that had nothing to do with math, but now it's just a one more little entrance point. Plus our kids can't do math anymore. So that's well, yeah. Good. Yeah, we could talk about curriculum in general, you know, common core curriculum. Uh, I would say, you know, we had a spelling and grammar assignment come home. And it was essentially, I'll kind of boil this down. What is the definition of the word union? And, and we could talk about, we can look up the dictionary, you know, look up the definition in the dictionary. What, what does the word union mean? But instead it was a narrative explanation of how great Cesar Chavez was in our country and 
uh, the definition of a union is people working together. So they essentially introduced this thought. And this is, I can't even remember what grade this was, fourth grade. They're introducing the topic of uh, labor unions and, uh, you know, the oppressed and the oppressor. And um, and not to say they didn't serve their purpose at points through history, but they bring up this big topic. And then after the long narrative problem, there's a multiple choice question. And it says, what is the definition of the word union? And the answer was people working together. And it's things like that, right? Very subtle, very easy ways to get into the curriculum. So um, and the last thing I'll say, uh, again, you hit the nail on the head, you know, issues that we run across in our school, you know, maybe bullying is a, is a good example, but um, you, know, you have this issue that we've had in the past, but now the government or castle, these curriculum have come in and said, Hey guys, we got it all figured out. We, we found the answer to your problems and it's, yeah, it's something other than the Bible. It's something other than absolute truth. It is, you know, I, I think what classical liberalism used to support and stand up for in the past, but that that's gone, you know, that, that they have become now the fascists, they have become the ones to censor others. So, uh, and, and I'll let you, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox and segue into data collection. You brought, that's a great point. I think we should talk about it with standardized testing, but I'll, I'll let you guys go, uh, Deb, if you want to take over. Well, that, that, that's a, that's a great uh, place to segue into uh, Deborah's uh, entrance to the discussion because she has studied literally thousands of books. And uh, at this point, she feels that language is being so subverted and so changed uh, as a result of that. Deborah, welcome to the program. I uh, uh, hope your husband's doing well. Uh, he had a, uh, a surgery here just a couple of days ago, and I know you were traveling, but I uh, hope things are going well. Well, thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Am I unmuted? Yep, you're fine. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I, I got a cold in the midst of all of this, too. So I'm trying very desperately not to cough through this. But uh, yeah, he's in great pain today. So I'm nursemaid also. But I tell you what, Julie hit everything on the head. These are the foundations that people have to understand before they can grasp these other topics that we're talking about. Now, she she made it very, very clear that it isn't academics, it's values, attitudes, and behaviors. And that was Benjamin Bloom, you know, his talk taxonomy, that the teachers all went to college, that was their basic, their Bible, and Bloom, it seems like they're all oblivious to it, but that was his platform. We're not there to teach academics, it's attitudes, values, and behaviors. So how do you do that? And, and she's painted the big picture of what has been done, I just try to show one facet of how it is done within the children, and it's remarkably effective. Um, I use this probably every show I do, but it's a good example. If you're old enough that you have watched Escape from Alcatraz, I want you to ask yourself, who were you rooting for? And I would guess that that's not your habit of hoping that prisoners escape. 
So this is exactly how they do it through children's books. Also, the child gets a rapport with that protagonist. And so through the story, that all the things that they know are wrong, they've been taught are wrong by their family, they've taught wrong in their churches, all of a sudden it has become acceptable because they build up that relationship with that character and whatever the character does, by the end of the book, they accept it. So one of the ways they do this is through omission. Now, these are not books. We don't have to talk about all the obscenity and things like that in children's books. Let's talk about the areas that Barb was talking about. These things are, are Julie, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm used to, to Barb from your site. Uh, CPL is a wonderful site. Um, but they start with picture books, which is why she's written some of the picture books. And they mold the children and they shape them through these, you know, can you be a boy? Can you be a girl? Can you be an animal? You know, all these different things are introduced, the political, everything, but how they do it in these young books, there's very few words. Many of these books have less than a hundred words in them. So how they do it is by omission. And I often use the illustration, you could write a book about Hitler and what a wonderful little boy he was. And that one day the neighbor broke her leg and he went over and helped her weed her garden. And with these beautiful illustrations, by the end of the book, this young child with no foundations, this is what we have to remember. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to write. They don't know math. They don't know economics or geography or history. So by the end of the book, the takeaway from something like that, that isn't out there, by the way, if anybody asks, okay, the takeaway is that this would be a wonderful person and he's a role model, which if you start examining children's books, all of a sudden you're going to find as early as board books, you're going to find books about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There's two board books about here. These are books that infants chew on. Now, why would you select that for your child? Why would they be writing books like that? Is it necessary? Whether you think she's a saint, you know, or whether she's evil is irrelevant. When you have two-page spreads in a little board book that says Ruth is strong, and she's holding up the, the Supreme Court building, and it is leaning to the left, okay? <laughs> but But... You know, what does a child take away from that? What are you teaching a child? What is the goal there? What what kind of a takeaway? And is it affecting just the preschooler or is it affecting those adults that are reading those books to the children? So no matter what the issue is, LGBTQ, um, you know, whether it's uh, the Islamic issue, uh, it doesn't matter. It is all covered in a children's book. Now, I can tell you from reading many children's books, whatever your stance is, from a children's book perspective, you hate Israel and you are ready to be the social justice warrior for the Palestinian plight. Okay, you are pro-LGBTQ. 
Um, you are anti-Christian. You are anti-family. Very anti-Republican. Okay, I said they're worse than the bottom of the gum on the bottom of your shoe in a kid's book. But but each of these things is introduced so cleverly mm -hmm. that a, a child's attitudes, values, and behaviors are totally changed. Now, Julie talked a great deal about definitions. And she is absolutely right. When you're talking to someone, you cannot assume that they are having the same definition of that word as you are. Authentic is one of them. And, and in the world of children's literature, um, authentic means I can't write a book with a transgender protagonist, for example, unless I am transgender, because that would be an authentic voice. I have a whole chapter about that in, in my book, okay? So what is authentic? So if you are a boy who thinks you're a girl or a girl who thinks you're a boy or a cat or whatever, you're considered authentic. And so you can see it's not based upon truth. It's not based upon fact. And everybody today, you know, the most common thing you hear, especially with kids, well, that's my truth. Well, how many truths are there? And I use at the, at the end of most of my articles and, and my business cards, I always use, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the point is, our foundations have been destroyed. And the parents today have gone through these same systems. And so, you, you know, you have to, you have to look at that. What do you think the mindset is of your leaders today in your communities that have gone through these same system? Now, years ago, which, which leans towards the social emotional learning, um, I had a friend that sent me an article from one of the education magazines from a teacher who was no longer doing the, what they call bell ringers in a school. And that simply was the first few minutes a kid was in a classroom while the teacher was maybe taking roll and getting things set up. She would have them working on, you know, if it was a math class, maybe a math something for a few minutes on their own. Well, he learned that this wasn't the greatest thing to do. The greatest thing to do was to, to introduce mindfulness for four or five minutes. And so I read that article, and he was talking about having to teach the children to be. Now, that goes to what Julie's saying. How do we define Julie, how do you to be, <laughs> you know? And so they had these actual mindfulness um, messages. And this went into Zen Buddhism. But you see, it was easier to introduce mindfulness than it was the yoga. You had a little bit of backlash. All of these things fit into the social emotional learning. Okay, but yoga, there was backlash because if you couldn't introduce Christianity in a school system, how were you introducing another religious aspect? 
So you even had, um, I don't know if you can see it, but Congressman Tim Ryan, he actually wrote a book on mindful, a mindful nation. And so all I'm trying to tell you, you mold children, you normalize them. Uh, years ago, there was a grant program to one of the local colleges where they were supposedly going to teach parents who didn't know how to read, how to read to their children. Well, I made an appointment with the professor and found out I wanted to know how they were going to teach them, what method they were going to use. Well, they weren't. They weren't. They had cassettes and they were going to memorize these particular books. But how she was so excited, excuse me, was the fact that they were all broken families represented in that book. Mm -hmm. And I said, wouldn't it help the kids more if they could see a strong family? And you see, they disagree. Everybody has to see themselves. If you're transgender, there has to be a book. There's a whole chapter in my book from the donor offspring children. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, and this is incredible because you have seven and eight year olds reading these books. And, you know, what are you going to do? Be in the car and your child says, what's a sperm donor? Hmm. I'm going to have to stop a minute. Yeah, yeah. Well, Deborah, yeah, you uh, go ahead, take a break. Uh, Julie, um, the, obviously, language has a tremendous amount to do with uh, the, the whole uh, SEL program, language understanding and literally rewriting much of the language so that words mean something totally different than what was originally intended by that word. That's uh, another aspect of uh, social emotional learning is changing our entire language to a new paradigm. Anyway, Julie, uh, I'd like your comment on that. Well, this is a language war. That's what we are in. And we are in a, a time of intense indoctrination. And it's to students, it's young people. I just, Debbie, I just think the work you've done on that is just phenomenal. And uh, it is, it is the, it's just, it's, it it shows you know how they they get inside of of children very young children and transform the way they think but you're right um Dan that's what this is this is this is uh they call it fifth generation warfare it's a type of warfare that happens through information through words through language and and it is i mean uh, like Debbie said it it's 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 happened. The the parents have been through this system already. We already are um, indoctrinated as parents to us to a large degree. I have a um, I have a friend who's a headmistress of a Christian school. It's um she she you know does training to her to her teachers tries to keep them up to date on what's going on and make sure that they are dealing with a with the understanding of the worldview you have to look at things through a worldview i mean what what is the lens that you're seeing everything through and what she found is that some of these christian teachers had 
had to have explained to them why it isn't true that whites are implicitly racist. Now these are these are Christians. <laughs> so I mean, think about that. How would these people not have to have that explained to them that we are uh, that one race is born racist? It's like the original sin, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a it's a religion of its own uh, mm-hmm. because all these words mean and take on meanings that 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 create uh, you know our our the shame that we carry just because we're part of this oppressed group and our children as you know take on the the shoulder this burden of shame and they need to get rid of this shame and as christians we understand the shame of our sin and we know what to do with it we know we take it to the lord and get forgiveness and it's gone and for for the uh, Marxist for the social emotional learning, the only way to get rid of that is to become a warrior, to destroy and disrupt and to dismantle the system that is inherently racist. So I just I just tell you, um, I don't know if you you've heard of Jivan Fleet, but she is a woman who went through the revolution, the cultural revolution in China. And she has some really important things to say to us. She's out there. She has a new book. It just came out. It's called Mao's America. And she said the cultural revolution that she went through is what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we are being, they divided people into, into groups. There was the, the black and the red group. And, and those that had, that were black were shamed. And they got the young people in school and they got total control of the schools. And that, how that happened is, is, um, is in, in details. So I'm not going to try to go into, but the fact is that seemingly normal children turned into vicious people who killed, uh, just murdered their own families, denounced them. They became something very different because of what they had been turned into in the schools, the indoctrination. And she said, I see it going on here right now. You know, she, she said, for example, it's very it's a very short distance between affirming the rape and torture and murder of Hamas what Hamas did in Israel and that's what's happening on you know to a lot of these kids they're they're defending there's there's a short thing to to from defending it to actually doing it and she said oh, <laughs> that's what happened we were we in China saw something happen that we were totally unprepared for. And because what they were um, defending, and then suddenly they were doing. Um, that's how dangerous this is. Um, so, Well, can... and Julie, you, what you're talking about, uh, the cultural revolution that happened in China, 
one of the one of the I, I guess most uh, uh, key aspects of that was the fact that the children became the leaders and the parents were being destroyed because they uh, represented something that was of the old order, the old school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's what uh, this process is now in our education system mm-hmm. is to take the old standards completely out of the system mm-hmm. and replace them with this Marxist ideology mm-hmm. uh, that is being in, really indoctrinated into the kids and right. get them in the belief that their parents don't know they don't know better. Their old Christian beliefs are not the right ones, that, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, God does not exist, that Jesus Christ does not exist, and that uh, the state and uh, a, a, a group think should replace what we consider uh, our Christian foundation. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Here's here's the, the way that it's implemented. I mean, there are all these. There are some. We've talked about some of the ways, but one of the key ways that this is implemented through SEL is the data collection. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's all over <laughs> for us. Is that there are surveys all over all the time. They're called all kinds of things. Sometimes they're just SEL assessments. Sometimes they'll just call it that. They're called youth measures or resilience questionnaire or emotions rating scale or student survey or family school relationship surveys, 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 school climate surveys, skills for success survey. And they are collecting data uh, through these surveys that is being incorporated into a uh, psychological profile for every student. And... um, that's data mining. The schools are data mining your children. And so what we tell people is do not comply. Um, here's how it works. They use the questionnaires, the surveys, the assessments, emotional check-ins is another way to say it. They're continuously gathering personal information to create a permanent psychological data profile. And this data is then filtered through the lens of cultural competency. And that's that's the equity lens. And then it's assessed. And it's assessed through an equity lens also. And we've talked about what that equity lens looks like. It, it's built on the idea that every that the that we're, you know, a very uh white um supremacist um racist system completely. So based on that assessment you get interventions. There are always interventions that come based on what kind of assessment that you get. And uh, interventions can be parts of like through school, through the groups, um, like through the class, you can say, okay, this class needs an, uh, it needs a lesson on this or that. We'll bring in this book or we'll bring in this speaker, or we'll talk about this topic here because this is what they need. So they're, they're assessing not only individuals, but, but specific classrooms, specific schools, and specific, you know, districts, they can do it in any way they want. And so this intervention is designed to move them along a continual path of improvement toward becoming culturally competent. And the SEL advocates, they claim that all students are at some level of trauma 
everybody is at some level of trauma, which requires mitigation, I'm using their words, and often that mitigation means mental health services, and uh, it's all of this is done without parental notification. So um, according to SEL, cultural competency is an equity worldview, and um, it is a framework for dividing, as we've talked about, into these different groups. So the continual surveys are tools that use to identify the values, attitudes, and beliefs so that the data, data miners can know what mitigation is needed to transform your child into champions of the new cultural dogma. These, um, you know, we've talked about what they are. Um, there's a, you know, some of the schools, some of the, of the programs have, um, you know, the, this is what they want to work toward. Many of them already have. They start with an assessment uh, early on in the year um, of every student. They do, it's called an SEL assessment. <laughs> and they are trying to um, determine what's the starting point for everybody. Um, the terminology that has been used uh, in the past in, for teachers uh, is, is also um, used to do something different. So again, we're back into the deceptive and, tra and transformation. Uh, one of these tools is called MTSS, and um, that is multi-tiered system of support. And it is a triangle, and it used to be used in a very good way. Um, they would put, there's it, it a triangle, and there are three levels. And the first level, you put into that first level children who um, seem to need some extra help. They're not doing well. They're you know, something isn't right. So they put them in that lowest level and they assess them for where they are. And from that assessment, they would provide them with certain additional helps, like uh, maybe you need a, um, a partner in something, or maybe you should be part of a group that does this or try doing this or that. And then uh, from there, they determine the, the third level of the, of the triangle is really targeted attention. If somebody needs just a really individual, like, uh, maybe they would need some um, mental health, you know, services, uh, you know, something a little bit more targeted, very targeted. Okay, so that makes sense, right? So what they've done is that they've used that same framework, that triangle, only every single child is put into that bottom uh, uh, level. Of the Everyone is assessed. Everyone is considered at some level of trauma. By trauma, they mean they have been, um, they're, they're traumatized by being oppressed for one of their, their you know, their, their um, oppressive situations, or they are an oppressor group and they have trauma that way too, uh, that they are, um, what they're doing or what they expect or their privileges. Everything is, everything that they have is a privilege. So um, then what they do is is they and then they they, they target some individual. They, that's one of the places that they find out where the most vulnerable people are. And one of the groups that they have targeted is children with. Um, I'm not thinking of ADHD. What is it? It's not ADHD. Um, um, autism. Autism. Mm -hmm. Now I don't know if you've heard this, but. Autistic children are especially vulnerable to becoming 
um, transgenders, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason. And I have a, I, I know an individual who's got a borderline um, autistic child, ninth grade now. And, um, you know, he, he knows that they're targeting her. She knows that she's being targeted and she's fighting back against it. And because she's autistic, she doesn't, she doesn't culture words at all. She's very expressive about how, no, I don't want this. And then they take her in for counseling. And then they, she's just a much more vulnerable person. This is what they do. And you may, you may target uh, individuals who have a, a family life that's very unsettled. And so they're more vulnerable. Those are, they can be much more easily manipulated. Um, so that's what that whole, that whole um, process is. And there's there's another term that has been used in the past. It's again misused or misapplied. It's called uh, what is the word here? I wrote on positive behavior interventional in, intervention supports PBIS. Okay, those are just acronyms that are you know academic sort of things. But PBIS is a system of positive behavior interventions. And they use that in with through an equity lens now. Before it was like, yeah, you know, you want interventions where people need help, where they need extra help, right? That's perfectly fine. But when you're looking at everything through an equity lens, um, the targeted uh, interventions are all toward moving you along in your worldview and in how you are becoming an active social justice warrior. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Julie, I'm going to um, I'm going to ask a question here. Obviously, <clears throat> what they've done is they've uh, made certain assumptions that they used to be something that we would consider, that we would debate, that we would try to uh, understand. But now they start at a baseline assumption and uh, there's no debate after that. Then they move forward in a particular direction. That's kind of what you're talking about. Uh, and and I, I will say the baseline assumption is that it's better to be in a group than be an individual. You know, that's a very, very fundamental baseline, but that's how they do it. They start with a baseline assumption that eliminates a a whole category of debate. Right. And and, and being everybody, everybody is defined by group. We're not individuals. We are defined by the group identity that we are part of. And obviously, we have a number of different identities. I mean, we can be, you know, I can be female, uh, I can be um, heterosexual, I can be, um, I don't know, wealthy or not, you know. So that's what intersectionality is. And it's a very important term, even though it sounds kind of weird, but intersectionality, intersectionality, uh, is putting everybody on a hierarchy. Let's see, you're identified as this and this and this and this and this. Here, you're maybe you're you're maybe uh, white, but you're a transgender. So, I mean, it puts you in a in a group that you know is an oppressed group. You're part of an oppressor group, an oppressed group. So, what they do is there's a whole hierarchy of where your standing is, and it's all based on the group you're part of. And right. so many times you'll see 
children, students needing to assess their, their, their status on this hierarchy. They have to determine where they are, where they're an oppressor, where they're an oppressed. They self-identify uh, themselves and how they need to correct that. They need to confess you know, their oppressive uh, um, their, uh, standing. And uh, a lot of times that confession means, um, you know, rejecting your family's moral values and, and, mm -hmm. and you know, just the, the way of destroying the family, putting division between the, the, the child and the parent. I mean, this is really important. This was China's, as Dan, you said, this was China's thing. It was all the olds. They got they they labeled there were the three olds and every one of them had to be rejected, completely rejected. And one of those was, you know, the the parents. I don't even remember what all of but the other was a religion. I don't remember what the third one was because that's but anyway, that is exactly what they're doing. They're 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 everything, all of our culture that is the old culture is being um demeaned. So, I mean, we talk about cultural, uh, you know, competency. It does not include the culture that is ours. I mean, the, the, the culture that is America's, which is a combination of a number of people, but we, it's based on natural law. Our constitution is built on natural law. And uh, you don't have to be a Christian to understand natural law. But natural law does not exist in that in that worldview, in the world of equity. No, actually, that would be a white supremacist concept, and it, it institutionalizes white supremacy. So hmm. I, you know, I I would be willing to say something more about mindfulness too that Debbie brought up, but I I don't know if I should go on there. Let let's maybe somebody else jump in. Well, um, I I do want to give Deborah a chance to uh, step back into the conversation. But um, I will make this comment, I make this statement, maybe this will be a good discussion point to move forward. Uh, what SEL and all this identification is the ultimate in racism. I mean, if we want to find a, uh, an identifier that is part of all this cultural Marxism, it is that these people are the ultimate racist because they cannot accept that there are a group of people that could get along just fine without all these identifiers. They are trying to create the divisiveness. They are trying to create the, the, the racial differences and all the rest because it serves their purpose to divide and destroy our culture and our society. Exactly. Deborah? Right. <laughs> are, are you, uh, are you I back? Am, I, I am here. I will okay. try this. There's so many things from what she said that I'd like to respond to. But years ago, there was a program, probably the 80s, I, I forget, but Laura Rogers actually paid the $1,000 and went to the training. And it was the parents' uh, effectiveness training. Okay. And they used to send the grandmothers into a house of a young pregnant woman, you know, uh, you know, maybe they were on social, had social help or something like that, but they would go into the home. The people would have, uh, would accept them because they were the grandmotherly type and they would examine the home. 
And for example, you might have too many toys, not enough toys. You might have nursed, you might have not nursed or, you know, whatever the category. I think at the time there was 13 categories. But the interesting thing is there was not a category for normal. No matter which one that you selected, (laughs) you were at risk. Now, once your child is labeled at risk, then they are open for the interventions that Julie is talking about. Okay, so uh, some of the social emotional learning in my area, um, you know, I'm not real familiar with these programs, but they go by tiers. So they survey the kids constantly, trying to get them at a tier where they are at risk. Okay, once you have a child at a risk, you have more one-on-one contact with them to shape them and mold them to be like the group. Um, Years ago, uh, Julie's probably familiar with Anita Hogue, you know, in the education that she worked on years ago. But it's the same thing. When she did the, the educational quality assessment, you see, we were looking at standardized testing. And for example, if they tested here in West Virginia and then they tested there in Minnesota and found out you all were strong in mathematics and you use this curriculum and we couldn't add one plus one, then they would look at our area and perhaps change to the curriculum that you were using that was effective somewhere else. Well, as the years went by, what she found out from that educational quality assessment is it was changing, it was identifying the individual child. It was no longer the whole group. Yes, she's correct. Every child has to be in the groups that they have set up. You can't, you know, be a Christian or, you know, any or a conservative or any of these other things. But this was how they checked the kids and found out was through these testings. You know, would they go along with punishment? You know, all, all these different things. So anyway, they are taking the children They're one way or the other. They're making them at risk and then they are working on them. So everything works together through all of this social justice that she's talking about. Remember, these kids don't know how to read or write, but they're teaching them persuasive writing. Okay. (laughs) I mean, you know, how well do you write when you really can't read? But what they're basically doing is they're teaching them persuasive words to use to get their way. And this is used as they train them to be these social justice warriors. So, for example, you know, if we don't have as nice a playground as your school has, you know, then they teach us to write the letters, you know, which I'm sure they're writing and we're just transcribing our wants with our persuasive words. And you're sending them to these companies or corporations and telling them, you know, that we don't have this. And they're trying to manipulate them with their words. This is one of the first things that they spend time teaching the children. And all of these things reflect through the children's books. I mean, these kids, seriously, when you get into the level of young adult books and the deviancy and the obscenity, it never ends. Casting out a book here or there is not going to change a system that isn't broken. The school was doing exactly what it was set out to do 
to make these global citizens. You know, Dr. Reisman used to tell me over and over and over, she would say, Debbie, stop. You've read enough books. You see, what I did was I tried to learn the patterns of how these things were done. And you get to a point, and it's same old, same old. They're just manipulating the kids into anything they want them to believe or to think. And it even goes back to Hillary and her, it takes a village. Mm -hmm. And think about that. This is one of the things that alienated children from their parents. Because if anybody could be their family and you let my kids stay up till one in the morning and run around the neighborhood and I make them be in by nine, you know, who's going, who are they going to prefer to be their family? You know, and I, I always sit here and tell people, I say, well, if it takes a village, where were you when my child was puking? You see, <laughs> you know, I mean, really, we have to be, we have to be real. They're destroying these kids. I am terribly, terribly upset at the mind manipulation of the picture books and the books for the early, early children. When you get into juvenile, you're shifting them in a different way but they're already molded and primed and ready before they get to the juvenile. By the time they get to the young adult, my goodness, they're controlled by sex. Mm -hmm. These books, you know, I used to laugh. I mean, I, I mean, I called, I called Dr. Reisman. I say, I don't even know what this is. And we'd both have to Google it. I mean, that's how deviant these things are. But now the kids get it with audio books. So it's like free phone sex. And they can listen to it over and over and over just with their library card, downloading a book instantly. These are the people that are your leaders tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Go back. People think all of these things are new. They're not. The shaping began many, many years ago. The sex began many, many years ago. It's just they laid the groundwork by having some puppy love involved. And now there is no puppy love. You could just meet in the gas station in the corridor, okay? It, you know, it, it doesn't matter. This is how far we have stooped. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, depravity has no bottom. And we have to start looking out for our children, we have to know these things that Julie is talking about. We have to understand them. We can't afford not to. We can't trust a private school, even if they're well-meaning, even if they're well-meaning. And even if they have a library, do you really think that those books are vetted? Well, and Deborah, that's uh, something that I think is a good subject to talk about. Um, and that is, uh, Natalie and uh, Shane, you, you were talking about your school specifically, and uh, Natalie, you were talking about uh, maybe getting into some of the reading and uh, researching some of the literature that's in these schools. This is an area where uh, so many young people now are being literally propagandized into this new think that's part of this whole system. And uh, Julie and uh, Deborah both, um, the, the um, uh, McAfee's talked about 
the second step program that's part of their school system. Uh, Julie, you said you recognize that clearly. Uh, let's talk about the second step program and how maybe that program uh, can be, I guess, for lack of a better term, can be dissected and people can be made aware of how really, really bad that system is. Yeah, well, the, the second step uh, program is, um, is it, it is, it's very far advanced, let me just say that. Uh, some of them, you know, are, you know, don't go quite so far so fast, but that one does. I just want you to know that there is a group in Utah um, and in one individual in particular who has done extensive work on exposing second step. And I don't begin to have the knowledge of that program the way she does, but I can forward you her information, um, you know, after, if you would like, but I mean, she, she posts it on Facebook. She posts it on Twitter. She, um, you know, she, she, she's very, very vocal about this because she was fighting it in Utah In Utah. It was a very conservative community. It was very, um, uh, very patriotic. It was it just, but they brought that into the schools in that area. And, People did not know what it was, and she started just exposing it and exposing it. And I, I'm not sure where it all is right now, um, but I just so I'm I'm somewhat limited in how much specifically I can say about it, except to know that that is one of them that is the most overt out there. And um, for the Christian school to take that one is really sad. I, we always tell people, you know, take your kids out of the the public schools. You know, you, you have to get them out. And that's one of the reasons that the battle in the Christian schools is so important, because it isn't run by the teachers union. It's mm -hmm. it's run by, you know, the the local parents. There is much more opportunity to engage in a Christian school than there is in a, you know, in a public school. And um, the people are, you know, genuinely, I mean, the, the parents usually have their kids there because of their faith. So you have a lot more to work with. And it's, it's, it's a battle of, of, what do we call it, decoding the, the language because they're, they're, they're captured by it. And, mm -hmm. and I and I really believe that that battle is, is important. Now, Dan, you may you may think, well, you, you can't trust the, the the Christian schools either. Well, you can't in the sense that you can't assume that they're doing the right thing. Right. right. But you you do have to engage because everybody is not going to be able to homeschool. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I mm -hmm. encourage it and everything. But you know, Christian non uh, and, and private schools have got to be uh, confronted with this. Um, and they, they and that that battle is is something that you can win, that you make a difference. I know, you know, church bodies is the same thing. And one of the th one of the reasons that we put together this dictionary is specifically for the battle that's going on in the church bodies. Because the, the Christian people do not understand that this is a religion, and it is a false religion, and it is specifically anti-Christian. And the words will tell them it's something different. 
And um, I mean, I, I have a I have a couple of grandchildren in a Christian school that is using SEL. <clears throat> and now, I mean, so, I mean, we, we're all just, we're battling this at every level. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's, it's really that the tools to actually engage. I, I just think we have to engage. Now, I don't know if you're going to bring, um, I don't know if you're going to bring mindfulness into Christian schools. That would be just like mind blowing. I guess I can't assume that, that, that it won't, but mindfulness is part of SEL. And it has been from the beginning. The mindfulness that that Deborah talked about um, is uh, transcendental medication, kind of Buddhist, uh, New Age kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it is to calm and empty the minds. There is the where SEL actually began was with a group called the Fetzer Institute, and the Fetzer Institute is um, is built on occultism and they actually put the social emotional learning together uh, as a, a project to you know to transform and you know into new age thinking now we have more about this on our website so you can look into it i don't need to necessarily go into it that much but dan made reference earlier to the fact that we're dealing with international um, groups the UN has um, has come on really strong in support of social emotional learning, and they have also come on real strong in support of mindfulness. And the reason that they say that mindfulness is important is because when you're trying to apply the sustainable development goals, that's the, the whole base. These goals are the fundamentals of world government. Social, the sustainable development goals are called SDGs. So when you're trying to apply the SDGs and the whole plan in every area, whether it's education or water or health or whatever, um, there's going to be a disconnect <clears throat> in the child between what they're being told and what they're being trained in and the background that they come from. It's a disconnect. And it's going to cause conflict and, and anxiety and stress. They say that. And so mindfulness, they say, is a way to move the children forward. Spiritually, um, just emotionally, move them along and help them uh, uh, deal with that anxiety that comes from all these new ways of thinking that conflict with their past and what their parents have said or what their family said or what their church says. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a document called uh, SEL for SDGs. Well, that's social emotional learning for the sustainable development goals. And I mean, it's amazing. You know, I hate to kind of go that far up, but I mean, honestly, this is <laughs> this is not coming from the grassroots. Let me tell you, it's not coming from the grassroots. And the CDC, for example, has a whole section on the whole child. Now, why does the CDC uh, have a section on the whole child, which takes you right to Castle? Okay, so the CDC in dealing with the whole child. Now, this is health. They're talking about health. You know the. Mm -hmm. Uh, so how does that work? Well, they they say that, you know, it's really the responsibility of education 
to educate the whole child because so they they've just taken authority over all of the values and attitudes beliefs of the child where they're supposed you know education is supposed to teach you academic knowledge and skills right that's what it is oh no when you're talking about the whole child you're talking about the the um, emotional the spiritual and the mental components of the child and so I mentioned, uh, um, Dan, I believe that in Montana, you don't have SEL, you have a whole child. That's what you've got. And that goes right to the CDC and it goes right to Castle. It's the same we actually know something about that. What? We, uh, we know in Montana that OPI is actually paying for second step for schools, both public and private. So even though they are using different terminology on their website where they cover those topics, they aren't calling it SEL. They are putting it into um, the requirements for what kids have to be taught for the standards. And then I have a 2020 announcement from OPI where they made second step curriculum free to any school that wanted it. So our school, our Christian private school took it for free. And we have plumbed the depths of information on second step. And I, we've read everything from Utah Parents United. And I think something that really has been hard for us and that is bothering us because we're parents of elementary students and so are all of our peers. We're, we're in the trenches of this thing that you're describing. These weapons are aimed at our, at our kids every day. And there is so much cognitive dissonance. There is so much, it's not happening, it's not happening. And I've, I've had to think about that a lot as a mom because I, I have a lot of brave friends who've spoken on this subject and I have some friends who maybe don't want to. And I think there's this, this point where you put your kids on the school bus in the morning and you, who, who would want to send their little kindergarten child off to a place that wasn't wonderful and safe and, and protective for them. So we tell ourselves that our schools are great and wonderful. And cognitive dissonance would mean if we all of a sudden started thinking, wait, my precious little kindergartner is going to encounter some really nasty stuff in that school today. Those two ideas are untenable for us to hold together. We can't think that about our kids' experience in school today and then feel okay with ourselves as parents. So we have a choice. We can either completely throw down and pick a fight with this school or pull your children out and homeschool, or else you really do have to kind of carry on pretending like it's not happening. And I think that combined with how this the Christian private schools handle the material makes it so, so hard for parents to see that it's happening because you can read a, a PDF online of some of the more egregious examples, some of the things that both of you have described here today. And you think, I know for sure that didn't happen in my school and right. that's not going to happen. And for example, we don't have surveys. Um, we had one private survey, but we don't have the surveys that collect information. I can maybe tell myself that in our school that made things better and okay and everything's fine. But you have to be asking questions every single day about everything. And I would ask parents to look at this from the top rather than from the bottom. Instead of what might be happening to my kindergartner today, look at who's coming out of schools and who are the 20 year olds in our country. Right now, they're all out protesting for Hamas. 
And that didn't happen when they got to the college campus. They That was happening before they got to college. That was happening in their high schools and middle schools and elementary schools with this subtle little drip, drip, drop of that oppressor, oppressed worldview that you spoke so well about, Julie. We see it with our kids, but we had to dig hard to get it. We had to ask them questions about these tough issues and say, have you heard this and what have you heard about it? And in doing that, we got answers like our 10-year-old thought that the planet is about to run out of oil. Um, Our seven-year-old heard that and said that the reason is because white people take all of the good things, keep them for themselves and destroy everything. And we have all boys. Those aren't the kinds of things that they would just come home and volunteer information to us. They don't come home and tell you all about their day. But if Mm -hmm. you know these are controversial issues, ask your kids what they've heard about it. And you might be surprised what you find. Ask your school what kind of curriculum is being used, what books are being read. Go pick through your library. Debbie already helped me identify a book in our school that I didn't even know was there that has graphic images of adult genitalia. And it's a it's a picture book for children in my Christian private school wow. that we have left, by the way, to homeschool. But I just want to I wanted to encourage parents to be vigilant because we can hear these explanations and we so badly want to think it won't happen to my kids. It won't happen here. But if you look out at the world at large and see everything that's happening, how could it not be happening in the building down the street from you? Because it's really everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Natalie, uh, OPI is Elsie Arnson. Elsie has always been a very, very good conservative. I cannot believe, well, I can believe, but I'm saying we need to get a hold of Elsie and we need to make sure she understands exactly what she's trying to hand out to the uh, to the Montana school system. Dan, I want to tell you one thing about that. I think there are some rumblings that Elsie might be considering office beyond state superintendent. And I think that in a in a position outside of the liberal world of education, SEL is gonna look a lot worse on her track record. And I think that she's wanting to scrub it from her track record, but the truth is it's it's riddled across across her time in the office of state superintendent. I attended a talk with Elsie where she told parents one of her great accomplishments was the number of mental health clinics that she had opened in Montana schools. I don't remember what the the number was. It was shockingly large. And I would never be for a mental health clinic in a public school. What kind of provider is treating my child and with what? So I do think that's something that we might see Elsie shift her tone on in the future. Well, um, I guess what we need to do, though, is we need to uh, organize amongst ourselves to make sure that she understands uh, that there are a lot of parents, a lot of people in Montana that will not support her doing these kind of programs and make her aware of it. Because honestly, (laughs) Elsie usually is really, really on board with good uh, conservative programs. And I don't know if she just swallowed this stuff hook, line, and sinker or what, but, um, you know, we need to make her aware for sure. 
Okay. I think the, well, second, the second step program, um, it might be helpful to get some some specific information from this this group in Utah because they can provide you with specifics on that that I, you know, I I can't. I don't I don't have it, as much information as they do. And maybe one interesting detail is you know it's federally mandated, so it's going to flow through Castle to your state education. So in Montana, the Office of Public Instruction, for example, but it's federally mandated for the public schools. And and so just maybe- I don't know clarity. if it was always federally mandated for all purposes, but under ESSER, when states submitted their applications to the federal government saying, will you please send us some ESSER funds? Part of what they had to say on their form was, here is how we will jump through the hoops that you have set out and one of those hoops was social emotional learning. So I have that document from 2021 for the state of Montana, where Elsie says, hey, federal government, here is how we are beefing up social emotional learning per your request. Now can wow. we have our ESSER money, please? And then once that curriculum comes into the state, Office of Public Instruction, they're familiar with it, they have this curriculum in their hands, then it gets offered to these other schools for example, what we discussed earlier, where you would not expect it. So our Christian school, I mean, our, our founding principles in writing specifically prevent this type of curriculum from getting our school, but we don't even realize it coming in. So it just it got it just kind of worked its way, right? It's if it's federally mandated, goes to the state, it's there in your state, and it just eventually someone talks to someone else and it works its way outside of the public school system and gets into the private schools or private Christian schools. You know, I'm 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 glad we had this program today. This has been a real good learning curve for me because I was not aware that uh, the second stack program had been uh, brought into Montana and basically endorsed by Elsie Arnson. I know her quite well, and I'm going to call her and say, <laughs> "What in the world is the matter with you?" Uh, that you would follow this kind of nonsense and really try to make her accountable to that. You know, anyway, uh, I, I have, Julie. Yeah, so a, a friend who is a school board member of a, of a Christian school in one of our more rural communities, the same thing happened. Um, she's, she's on the school board and she didn't know that they were doing SEL, that they brought the program in and it was a secular program, um, and and that created a lot of, of controversy, and they've been fighting it and everything. But, you know, how does that happen, that suddenly there it is, and the school board member didn't have a clue? Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Um, Americans are so trusting, and, and we are so naive. We could have been fighting this for the last 50, 60 years in a meaningful way, but yet we assume. <laughs> That's the old the old uh, saying about assume. Uh, anyway, we assume that government and these people are doing the right thing and protecting us when, in fact, uh, they may be making the same kind of assumptions and not doing their own research. Uh, you know, for the the OPI office to be endorsing something called Second Step that's based on SEI uh, is absolutely absurd. Hey, Dan. Yes, yeah. Could yeah. we share um, a couple steps that we put together 
we hope that there are other parents in in private schools or in public schools who will stand up and be vocal on this issue and it's been a long painful fight and we're noticing some common threads in what you're going to come up against when you try to take that on and some of these things are real game changers a parent might run into them and just say i'm done i'm out i don't know how to get past this um, the first one that we hit so hard was just denial, which I thought was a really funny tie in to just leftist talking points in general. It's almost like a playbook. When we tell you this bad thing is happening and we show you a picture of it, your first answer is it's not happening, which is just so irrational. You don't even know how to respond to that because you're showing someone a picture of something and they're saying that's not happening. So you fight that a little longer and you get past that stage and you get to, okay, it's happening, but it's not that bad. And if you keep fighting and get past that, you're going to get to, okay, it's a little bit bad, but we've got it under control. And you just need to know out of the gate that that's what you're going to be up against. It's going to be the knee-jerk reaction when you bring something in to your administrator and tell them this is a problem here in our school. Um, the second big thing we've gotten is we're told that we're sheltering our kids. Our kids are 11, 10, and seven. So we don't need our kids to look at picture books telling them what transgender means, which were available in our Christian private school. I think the idea that you have to tell these kids this information in order to prepare them for life is very irrational. I like the classical approach where you have to start with the groundwork of what is true and what is real. This is how the human brain starts as a child to develop knowledge. You tell them what is truth. And when that when that groundwork is so strong, then you can go to now, how do we think about what is true? How do we form more complex thoughts about it? And when you've accomplished that step, then you can go to how do we express ourselves and defend our faith? But what we keep getting told by administrators in our school and occasionally by parents who I think are well-intentioned and love us is, well, you guys are trying too hard not to expose your children, and that's just not a good idea. And I, I don't think that's what's actually happening here. I just have a seven-year-old, so I don't understand why he needs to see pictures of transgender children. Uh, one other thing we've come up against is fear, and I, I really empathize with this. I think, especially in a small community, it's scary to rock the boat. And I'm really proud of some of the people who've spoken up, even in the face of, of repercussions. But I want to say this really clearly. Fear is a tool from the devil. Um, it, it is not the unity that Christ calls us to, to just be quiet when Satan is standing in front of us lying. That's not unity. Mm -hmm. We're told that what we're doing is divisive and causing disunity in the church. And I just don't believe that that's biblical. We've been confronted with a lie from Satan and we're going to speak truth to it. Um, two other things. We've seen a lot of bystander effect. It's really muddied the waters here where I think everybody's waiting for the adult in the room to show up. That if we just keep having this conversation loud enough and long enough, some adult in the room is going to get something done because this is so egregious and terrible and clearly wrong. But if every single person is thinking that, then nothing gets done. So, I mean, we're actually seeing that unfold where the conversation in our community is getting pretty vocal, but then nobody goes directly to the administration and has a conversation. But with the level of conversation, everyone thinks, man, we're really getting somewhere. Change is happening. It's, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, just 
feeling like you're busy, I want to go back to that. You need to be asking your kids what they've heard on these topics, what they've seen on these topics, what they've read on these topics. It's it's little tiny bits in this worksheet, in this book, in this video. And some of it, when you see just the one bit, seems not that harmful. But 13 years later, it is 100% how you end up with a 20-year-old communist as your child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is, uh, it, it's something that is gradual. We, we, our whole culture has been destroyed by gradualism. And it didn't just start out the way it is now, but now it's so pronounced you can't avoid it. And the fact is, is it took uh, 50, 60, 70, 100 years to get to the point we're at right now. But you're right. Uh, don't be afraid. Never be afraid when you've got truth on your side. Because if you've got truth on your side, you've also got uh, God and and our Lord and Savior on our side, and that's an extremely important aspect of this. Shane, I I, I love the fact that your kids came home and and uh, talked about how the world was running out of oil <laughs> and, and uh, you're in uh, oil, the oil and gas industry, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. What did you say to them? I mean, this is. Well, <laughs> you know, thankfully, it's probably a topic that we, you know, that comes up. Uh, well, it kind of has to come up if you're if you're watching the mainstream uh, world out there tell us these things. You know, the, the climate crisis is probably something that we speak about with our kids more often than not because, again, uh, you know, there are surveys out there. All these kids, some gigantic percentage, think that the world is ending, we're destroying the place, and that we need electric vehicles to to save the planet. And you have to sit back and think about this critically and ask some reasonable questions here and and ask yourself, you know, why, why, are, why is the government having to subsidize certain things? Why is the government having to force us to do certain things? What if we let free market capitalism make the decisions? And, and sure, humans can still make bad decisions, but just the green initiative does not make logical sense. I know we're going to improve things in the future with technology, but it was, uh, it's just, it's, that's one, and honestly, that's probably the easiest thing we have to discuss yeah. with our kids, you know? <laughs> So, it's so it's so absolutely provable as being a farce, and the yeah. science is not there. I, uh, I'll, I'll welcome. I don't know if you uh, have been to my website, but uh, on my website, I've got a video that I did probably 12, 13, 14 years ago on UN Agenda Twenty One and its yeah. ties to communism, and it's so easy. I mean, this stuff. Literally, all the dots connect. Julie, all the dots connect, don't they? Absolutely. It's Agenda 20. Well, that's what the SDGs are, the Sustainable Development Goals, are Agenda 21 and now Agenda 2030. And, um, you know, they're moving us along very, very rapidly in incorporating, you know, the goals of for, you know, the, the next the next generation. It's all there. Um, the... the um, Gender ideology is um, a uh, Planned Parenthood International has has it all on the UN, um, you know, the, the website. It's being pushed that the whole 
um, sexual illicit activity, the the um, free you know free sexual expression and and the gender ideology. It's all there. It's it's being pushed on every country uh, through the UN and coming primarily from the United States. Um, yeah, so it's it's a it's it's a plan that's been put together and like you said for a long long time. Mm-hmm, very much so. And um, everybody needs to understand. And I, I uh, Natalie and, and Shane, please tell the people that are in your group, this is part of a plan to move into one world, technocratic, Marxist-based, uh, feudalistic government. And it will be so bad when we get there that we will have no freedoms whatsoever. And they are so dangerously close to getting these plans put together, or I should say fully implemented. We need to stop this in any way that we can. Uh, Deborah, I want to, we're kind of getting down. Naturally, these discussions, we could talk forever on the subject, but we run out of time. Deborah, do you have some uh, thoughts that you would like to add? Yeah, I do. Um, When he talks about the climate change and all of that responsibility upon the child, um, that is putting the weight of the world on the children, which they have done since, I mean, one of the things would have been 80s with the nuclear war. If you don't do this, then this is going to happen. During COVID, if you don't wear a mask or wash your hands, you're going to kill grandma, you know, and So each one of these things, whether it's climate change or whatever the social justice issue, you've got that weight of the world on little children that aren't allowed to be children. Okay, Mm -hmm. they they think, oh, my gosh, if I don't do this, the whole world's going to fall apart and it's going to be my fault. So what comes into the rescue? Mindfulness. And who pushes the social emotional learning? The American Psychiatric Association, they have their own publishing company, Imagination Press. And you can go on there and you can see their collection of social emotional learning books. So even the schools that don't directly have social emotional learning yet, they have books that are already being introduced to the children uh, where the children are picking up these ideas foundationally. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And um, I, we're, we're almost out of time, but I want I want to kind of try to wrap this up with any additional questions that uh, Shane, either you or Natalie have. And uh, Julie, I, I know that you are probably, with your uh, Child Protection League, you have some of the strongest foundation that I've ever run across in this particular area. So, uh, Shane, Natalie, do you have anything that you want to bring up or you want to ask questions of either of our guests? Debbie, thank you for helping us with the library and for your homeschooling advice. Um, Julie, I have shared some of your resources in our community because I just don't see much out there on SEL specifically inside of Christian schools. And I found it interesting that you said it happens and it's happening to your grandchildren. Uh, Do you have any advice on that specific fight on what that looks like when you guys want to make that argument inside of a Christian private school and are having trouble moving the needle? 
Right. We have we have that on our website um, information about about and, and like I said, the the um, the, the vocabulary, uh, we have two versions of it. One is just a secular version and the other is uh, specifically for Christians because it brings in, the, you know, scripture verses. Um, we have, um, and like I said, we've, we've taken apart this, this particular um, Christian SEO program called Frenzy, um, but it's true. And, and then we do it through scriptural perspective. So those two things would probably be especially helpful in a Christian school. I, I just... Um, I think that the battle really is with Christian people <laughs> uh, more than anywhere. And, you know, we have a foundation that, you know, is, is, uh, the opposite of, of what this is. And, a lot of people talk about how churches need to be involved, um, but I think the one of the shortcomings that we have is that churches are just regular people too, and they've been indoctrinated too <laughs> in a lot through the culture. And um, I think they need some of these tools given to them. So I mean, to 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 talk to leaders in the churches about what this is because schools need <clears throat> some <clears throat> some direction from the leadership of the churches too and i i think that it's it's breaking in right now i see it breaking in it hasn't been breaking in before but i really see christian people now really ch challenging their leadership giving them information and I, i've seen pastors asking for information they never have before they say i, I mean how do we understand this so i i just think that you know speaking up you, what you've said here the two of you is just really powerful i i just appreciate your perspective so much and the 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 pattern uh, that you go through people saying it's not we're not doing that and it's always we're not doing that and and you have to get past that but persistence is important and having the tools and talking and speaking and not being afraid to be rejected and uh and not being afraid to take the heat from being able to say something is so important the reason censorship is such a big deal is because people know that the power of the truth it can break them and so you cannot have the truth out there. So they're censoring it every place they can. And they're lying about it wherever they can. So to give the actual uh, reality of what we're talking about, and, and especially in the church, I just I just think that's that battle is, is fundamental. And I think the church, so-called, I mean, we are the church, right? But the church institutional leadership and everything can, can become more um effective and active and involved when they understand that it is anti-christian it's just not politics it's not politics it's it's a spiritual battle it is the biggest spiritual battle we have faced as a christian church uh for i don't know how long but but this is challenging the very fundamentals of what christianity is and it's being done as if it's not a heresy. <laughs> it mm -hmm. is. It's a total heresy. Um, and, and and so I I would just I would just say speaking out the way you are and and the articulation of it is just really amazing. Um, and 
all of us, we have to be able to speak. I mean, I always felt like I couldn't, you know, I just wasn't capable of speaking. And I do it just because I have to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I mean, we don't have any choice. No, you're right. Okay. And uh, uh, Shane and Natalie, is there a possibility of uh, uh, getting the actual church groups, uh, the churches themselves, First Church or Bethel, uh, to host a, uh, a discussion about this where we could bring in maybe uh, a speaker or two that could address this subject directly. Is there that possibility? It definitely, and, and we would be happy to, to help set that up. I, the elder boards have already uh, had meetings over this and discussed it uh, since this, you know, kind of all became known recently. So I know that there are definitely, there's a, a large group here, really a silent majority who would love to have something like that. Okay. Well, um, I happen to know a few speakers and, <laughs> uh, that's one thing about connecting this many dots, but, um, you know, if, if something like that could be organized, uh, I know some really, really powerful speakers that could address this very subject, Um, you know, and we've got two of them here with us today. So uh, absolutely. Okay. Well, I I hate to say this, but we're out of time. I want to thank our viewers for joining us with Connecting the Dots. Join us again on Tuesday morning at uh, uh, 10 a.m. Central Time and Uh, We will be doing another podcast then. Uh, Shane, Natalie, Julie, and Deborah, thank you all for being such incredible guests. And uh, God bless you. Let's keep this dialogue going uh, after we hang up from this uh, program. I'll stay in touch because we need to get this, uh, keep this thing moving along. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. All righty.